So the first reading, Deuteronomy chapter 15 verses 1 to 11 on page 191 of the Church Bibles. At the end of every seven years you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Now, the second reading is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. That's on page 1052 of the Church Bibles. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to, the guest of, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sorry about that. You good? Can you hear me? I can hear me. I know that's what's most important but can you hear me? Welcome to church, everyone. My name is Prash. I'm the senior minister. Uh, it's good to have you with us this morning. We are in our series. Um, I think it was just my connection was a bit loose up here. Wait, that's all. 
We're in the middle of a series looking at our wealth and our possessions, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, We're in week four. We've got this week and next week uh, in this, and uh, we've been thinking a lot about how, how, first of all, to just conceive of the things that God has given us, but then, of course, how to use them as well. And that's really where we're shifting our mindset as we get to this part of the series. Uh, In our house... Our kids um, collect the water bottles and the little Tetra packs, you know, the the juice things, to hand them in and get the... Well, they don't collect them, actually. I collect them, wash them, or Emily stacks them in a box and keeps them. But then they gleefully go to the return and earn uh, depot at Willoughby and get their their refund, the 10-cent refund. If you don't know what I'm doing, um, get on it. Like, you'll get a whole... After a whole month of, of saving up your bottles, you'll get a whole 50 cents, probably. Um, but m- the kids love it, right? They've, they've, they have, in their mind at least, put a whole heap of effort into this task. And um, as, as they get the money out, you know, here it is, three months, some of them stink because they had up and go in them and someone forgot to wash it out and it's pretty gross. But anyway, it goes in, out comes this $9.80. And they think to themselves, what am I going to do with my 490? The two older ones, Wesley, unfortunately, being the third child, doesn't get a share in the inheritance. Um, and so he, he misses out at this point in time. And so here they are, agonising. They've put so much effort. What am I going to do with what I've earned? And if you've been following the series, I've been pushing us to think hard and therefore deliberately make choices and decisions about our wealth and possessions which should now leave us in a position to have things to hand over, to give away. I said to you from the start, we, everything we have, God owns and has given to us to use for a purpose. We, in fact, money is good, but it does have the capacity to exercise great power over us, so we need to be generous with it. And as we are generous with our money, the way we increase our generosity is actually lowering our standard of living, you know, simplifying our life. Now, all of that is actually a great effort. You've gone to a great effort to have increased what you can give away. And as someone asked me last week, what are we now, what are we meant to be generous with? And that's really the question that we want to answer this week and next week. What do we spend our money on? And to do that, again, we've gone to the Old Testament because the Old Testament gives us a great foundation, um, God's laws and his commands in the Old Testament, though they are not in and of themselves a directive to us now. They certainly give us a sense of what he desires his people to do and certainly who he is as God as well. The commands reveal something about the command giver. And so we start with the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we, the, the, the call to give and to, or to set aside money to give, which is called tithing uh, by many people, actually is found back in Genesis 28 where Jacob sets aside 10% of his, his, uh, his goods, one-tenth of them. And that's where we get the idea that tithing is like a 10% item. Um, but then tithing is built on in the Old Testament laws to look a lot different to what we might automatically assume. Uh, tithing actually makes up th- has three distinct components to it in Old Testament law. Uh, we have um, an amount that's set aside for the work of the temple or for the, the priests. Uh, this, this is what we, I guess, we normally think of as in giving to your church. We'll talk about that next week. But 
That's one component, but interestingly, there are these other two components in the Old Testament. There are what you would call festival tithes. These are amounts that you'd give at the various festivals in Israel's history. So Israel had all these festivals that were built into the life of their, their community across a year, and at every festival, you'd give something. So, so one festival, for example, might require you to give a certain number of your, your cattle, your, your, your livestock, as sacrifices, as part of the celebration of this festival. These are called festival tides, broadly speaking. And thirdly, what you might call charity tides. These are gifts to the poor, they're to the outsider, to the foreigner, to the widow, to the orphan. Um, and, And these all together, these three components, normally added up, if you were to actually kind of total them up, it's not total anymore, there's no actual number, but if you brought all the numbers together to more like 23% of your earnings in a year. So we think of tithe as a 10% amount, but actually if you count all of the components that the Old Testament um, compiles, it's up near 23 24%. But it's not just the tithes in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has this design. I'm going to focus really on this third one, this charity tithe, because that's a key component. Because in the Old Testament, there is a constant concern for those who are are poor and financially less well off. Um, There are other laws which don't have to have to do so much with direct giving but indirect giving. So there's the law of gleaning. If you go through a field, if you're the owner of a field, you go through once collecting your harvest and then whatever's left over you know, if it's on the wheat or if it's on the plants, you, uh, on the trees, you don't go through again and pick up all the leftovers. You leave them so the poor could come through and glean the field. This is behind the story of Ruth in the Old Testament, if you know that story. Um, and that was a way of providing for the poor. There's this mindset in Israel that, you were, that the society was meant to provide for the poor. And we see that in the section in Deuteronomy 15, which was read for us, because that's the Jubilee law. It's summarized in verses 1 and 2. Here's verse 2. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. Every seven years, all the debts that were owed between Israelites were canceled. You get to seven years, you're burdened by a debt. The good news is it's wiped. This, was, this is how God wanted his society to live. He wanted his people not to be burdened by unduly um, onerous debts. I mean, we live in a society which has haves and have-nots because debt doesn't get wiped away. It just kind of builds on itself. This is one of the great challenges, isn't it, Um, for those who are financially burdened, that their debts increase. But in Israelite culture, most families would have taken advantage of this rule, this law, at some point in time, where they would have had a debt, they would, that something might have gone amiss in their family or in their, 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 kind of their, their business, so to speak, but they would have been able to take advantage at the seven-year mark of having their debt wiped away. This was all part of this. But all of these laws, as I said to you, they're not laws that, therefore, this should happen now. They're laws that are, we're told about to help us understand God because at the heart of who God is, is this care for the poor. So here's a verse from Deuteronomy 10, a little bit earlier in that book in the Old Testament. And Moses is telling us about God's heart, his characteristics. And he says he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. 
Now, the, the Jubilee law only applied to Israelites, but in case we were to think, oh, God didn't care about foreigners, but here it is, he does. And in fact, there's earlier laws in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8, where we see God legislating for the sake of the foreigner. So there's this whole, there's this whole provision in Israelite law, and it all reflects God's character. He's a God who cares for the poor. You'd summarize the Old Testament like this on this issue. God cares for the poor. Therefore, his people care for the poor. God cares for the orphan, the widow, the foreigner. Therefore, his people care for the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. This is very important. And this, you might say to yourself, oh, well, this is like an Old Testament. Um, this is an Old Testament concept. It's, it's no longer applicable. Um, we have social welfare now, so that kind of takes care of that. But it, it, it doesn't. It translates into the New Testament too. So it's not something Jesus left behind. This is not one of the components of the... Like, Jesus left behind the sacrifice component of the Old Testament law. He didn't leave this behind. And it's reaffirmed in the New Testament. So in our Luke story, did you notice Zacchaeus' response to kind of his conversion? Like, coming into... He's he's declared a son of Abraham by Jesus, right? But he's declared a son of Abraham, and the, the, the outworking, the... The, the characteristic of a son of Abraham is this generosity to the poor. So Zacchaeus says, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Now, you know what's really interesting in Zacchaeus' response to Jesus is, see, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, if you don't know the story. He's a tax collector. He's probably, he's, he's hated by the Jews. And we get that sense by the way the crowd treat him, right? Because tax collectors ripped off the Jews, they didn't just collect the Roman taxes, so they weren't just on the side of the Romans. They collected the taxes of the Romans plus a whole heap more. They had authority to collect more than the tax, and that was how they kind of funded their own lifestyle. So Zacchaeus is a, um, he's a thief in the eyes of the Jews. And so Zacchaeus, in a sense, when he realizes, um, he realizes his circumstances, he is kind of trying to make up for that. That's why he says, I've cheated anybody out of anything. I'll pay back four times the amount. He, he's making up for his mistakes, but he's doing more than that. He's saying, as a, as a reflection of now who I now am and see myself, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. See, the first line has nothing to do, in a sense, with his past self. It's just an outworking of his new self. And so to be a follower of Jesus is to care for the poor. Uh, it picked up again in Matthew 25, 40. The second um, little extract I've got here, this is Jesus talking. He's talking about what the kingdom is like, what the king is like. And he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is saying, you care for the poor, you're caring for me. And he's saying, the king, in God's kingdom, the king associates with the poor. He connects with the poor. The, the, the cause of the poor is the cause of the king. And, and so Jesus is saying, actually, God's people care for the poor because God cares for the poor. Right? That Old Testament idea, it's running through the New Testament. Now, you know, you can give your money to lots of things. I was talking to a parishioner who's telling me about someone they knew, a very wealthy person, they don't go to this church, who, who gave a lot of money 
to like um, Sydney Symphony Orchestra or something like that. Extraordinary amount of money. That's, that's fine. You're allowed to give money to philanthropy to, you know, to, the, to help the state library or whatever. But that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying when you use your money, you give it to the poor. What, you know, the Lord Jesus summarizes the Lord as love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so Jesus takes that. He says, when, when you're generous, be generous to the poor. That's actually the hallmark of God's people. I mean, it's fine, like I said, to give it to something like the SSO. But really what you're meant to do when you're generous with your wealth is to give it to the poor, to help those who are financially burdened, those who are weighed down, whether it's by their mistakes or not. You're meant to give it to the poor. There's others in this building today who are thinking, finally, this, the, the Christian faith is kind of connecting with the needs of our, our society and our culture. I think, oh, finally, here's one place at least where modern Australia agrees with the, the biblical message. But I want to say to you, no, 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 this is one place where modern Australia has, has, has still inherited and lives out the biblical message. Because the, the, this truth that you are meant to give your wealth away to those who are less fortunate, that moment where it seems to resonate with culture is a, is a little moment where culture is still impacted by the, by the teaching of the scriptures. The reality actually is that most generosity, that the, the, the people who are most generous are Christians. This is, this is the overwhelming trend. In fact, I don't know if you saw the paper yesterday, there was an article which said 25% of Australians don't give to charity. Now, generally speaking, of course there are, there are one-off examples, there are individuals you might know who are not Christians who are very generous to the poor. But generally speaking, the people who are generous to the poor are people who are shaped by the message of Jesus. Uh, here's, some, here's a little bit of data. This comes from America, but it's applicable here too. Uh, the one on the left says, um, this one is Americans who attend church weekly and pray daily. So this is not just people who identify as Christians. This is people who have a kind of a living and vibrant faith, right? Every week they're at church, they're praying every day, they, compared to just general Americans. 65% of these people have given to the poor in the last seven days by donating money, time or goods, compared to 41% in the general population. Their point is, your faith impacts the way you use your money and your possessions. And, and, and the story of society is people who follow Jesus are more generous to the poor. Because that's, that's the impact of the Christian life. And this, the similarly in the second graphic there as well, the impact of faith on the way you use your stuff. God calls his people to be generous and generous particularly to the poor. So, how do we apply this? Well, what's interesting about the Zacchaeus story is, do you notice his transformation is instantaneous? And so he says, here and now I give. Here and now I give my possessions to the poor, right? He doesn't say, I'm next week. When I'm next in my office, I will here and now. And the point is that this has changed his life immediately. So I want to say, if you're convicted that this is something you need to do more and more of with your possessions, with your wealth, with your money, don't leave it at that. Do something about it. Do something about it. 
I don't know if you're like me, you get an email from an organization you trust, you've signed up to, they're asking you to support, whether it's floods in Bangladesh or it's the persecuted Christians in India, and you think, yeah, I want to do that. But then you can't find your credit card, and you know, I'll get back to it later, and it never happens. Here and now, do it. In fact, in your booklets this morning, if you open your booklets to page, I don't have a booklet on me, where's the, where's the what page is the outline on? Page three, you'll see a QR code there. You can scan that QR code. It will take you to the homepage for Anglican AIDS Instica project. This is the project that we support um, over Christmas, uh, the Christmas period. Uh, it aims to um, fund and um, fund and allow um, a school in South Africa for children from um, very marginalised and um, poor backgrounds. It's a wonderful project, right? It's run by an organization that we trust. This is just, if you're looking for one, this is it. Go home today. Do it. If you're convicted, do it. Just take a step. Just start giving your money away. You don't have to think too hard about this. You don't need to do a lot of, uh, a, a lot of due diligence. These organizations have done it. Just start giving your money away. Don't, don't be convicted and then put it aside and say, I'll do it. I'll do it another time. If you're at home, you can do it right now. So that's one way. First thing about taking on the challenge of what Jesus is saying about the Christian life is don't say, I'll do it later. Do it now, here and now, says Zacchaeus. But the second thing is to take on the principle of it, love your neighbour, that love your neighbour principle I was talking about, and really apply it. Now, I don't want to create in our, in our thinking about money, as I've said before, like this polarised view of money. Money is bad, no money is good, right? Where you kind of think to yourself, I can't enjoy any of the things God has given us because that obviously would subvert what we said in the first instalment of this series. It's okay, it's okay, and it's, it's a nice thing to go on a holiday, for example. I'm, I'm not asking people not to do that. What I'm challenging us to do is to maybe match your spend on yourself with a spend on someone else. So, for example, you want to go on a holiday, it costs you $1,500. Well, spend $1,500 on the poor. Okay? That might mean you have to wait longer to go on your holiday because you now have to raise $3,000 in order to do both of those things. But do it. It's a, way, it's a way of always considering the needs of those who are poor when you're considering your own desires and wants at the same time. It's a way of enjoying the gift that God has given, but always factoring in the needs of those around us. It might mean that you go on a less opulent holiday because like, you, can't, you can't match the spend of a $10,000 holiday with a spend for someone else. But that, this all ties in with what we talk about, about simplifying our life as well. Uh, this is the challenge for us. And I really want us to not just hear this and think, that was, that was a great sermon. I do like it when we talk about the poor and then get on with our life of uh, materialism and consumption. But to actually go away and apply it. The question I think that still remains when we think about caring for the poor is where does the sovereignty of God fit into this, right? Because you notice in the Deuteronomy passage, he says, there's plenty in the land. There should be no poor in your family, in your, in your nation. And then at the end of the reading, he says, there'll always be poor in your nation. Right? And the question is, why doesn't God just like meet the needs of everyone? Why doesn't he just 
give every, everyone what they need in Israel or even in our community now. I mean, he could do that. We saw the story of the manna and the desert. God has that capacity to do it, even though the world is broken. Why doesn't he do it? And I think it's because, actually, God sees a greater purpose to your generosity than even just meeting the material needs. Because look what he says here in Deuteronomy 15, verse 6. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. And how will he bless you? You will lend to many nations but we'll borrow from none. In other words, God is giving you wealth and possessions in order to give you the blessing of generosity. It is a blessing to be able to be generous to people, to give your stuff away. Now, most of our society disciples us the other way. It says it's a blessing to keep your generosity, your wealth and possessions, as many yourself. But God says, actually, the great blessing is the joy of giving away your wealth and possessions to people. And if you don't believe me, I suspect it's because you don't give much of your stuff away. It is genuinely a joyful experience to give it away and see the impact of your generosity in someone else's life. It really is formative. And so I'd encourage you to take on the joy of generosity. It is a blessing. Jesus said as much in Acts. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is the profound wisdom of the scriptures to us here on this topic. It's not just you need to give away. It's that this is a great, this should be a great joy. It will create great joy in your life to be generous with your stuff. And if you think that this is just some crazy thing the Bible says, actually, even non-Christians, when they engage in this, this act of generosity, experience this blessing. Here's a quote from Angelina Jolie. You might know her. She's a Hollywood actress. used to be married to Brad Pitt. She says, if I decide to go visit a school in the middle of Kenya, the kids will be excited. She's talking, I think she's talking about the kids in Kenya, actually. She says, that is better than having an Oscar. When I'm in a refugee camp, my spirit feels better than anywhere else in the world. You know, here's a person who has enormous wealth, but the thing that gives her great joy is being able to give some of that away to people. And this is, this is part of the reason why God, he, he has given you stuff. He wants you to experience a greater blessing than just having that stuff. He wants you to experience the blessing of giving it away, of giving it away. And if you don't believe me, just go with me for a month and experience the joy of doing it. Now, that is not to say that it's not difficult. Actually, being generous to people costs you. It is difficult. And you can see it in the, gen- in the Deuteronomy passage, because I don't know if you picked up this verse. I thought it was a really interesting verse that Moses, he knows, he knows people. God knows people. Moses, as he speaks to the Israelites, he knows the Israelites. He says this, Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. Mm, the seventh year, the year for cancelling debts is near. You can imagine someone thinking this, right? So that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Moses is saying, be careful. Because you see, the thing about the Jubilee year was it didn't start when you gave them the money. It wasn't like, oh, I gave it to you last year, so now you've, uh, I've got six years to extract my debt from you. No, no, it just, it just started from when the law was given. So 2021 might have been the Jubilee year, then 2028, then 2035. So there would have always been this temptation, you see, when you get to like 2019, 2020, to say, hmm, if I... 
if I give them this money, they're, they're probably not going to pay this back. They say, you'd be tempted to say, that's not fair. What would be fair is for me to hold off. I'll just hold off till 2022. Then I'll give them the money. Right? Moses is saying, no, no, no. Generosity is genuine generosity when you count the cost of it. When you count the cost of it. It's meant to hurt at times to give, to give up something, to be generous to someone. It's not really generosity if you're so, so abundantly provided for that when you give something, you never, feel the, you never feel the cost of it. It's generosity which opens you up to actually feeling cost at times. Bruce Walke is an Old Testament scholar. He, he wrote a book on, Psalm, on Proverbs which summarize, he summarizes God's attitude to generosity. Here's what he says. The righteous, this is God's ad, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advance, advantage themselves. He's summarizing the, 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 the thread of the law on this topic, right? The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. See, that's actually the heart of generosity. It is you being willing to disadvantage yourself for the sake of others. That's what generosity looks like. It's not ensuring you are advantaged and then advantaging someone else. You have to give something up. It costs. And sometimes it costs in the form of, that's not fair. That doesn't, they haven't earned this. That's at the heart of generosity. It's at the heart of generosity. So the question for me is, if, it is, if true generosity costs, right? it really costs, how do you get to be like Zacchaeus? who says something so crazily outrageous. I give half of my possessions away. And if I've ripped anyone off, I'll give them four times as much back. How do you have that? Don't we want that? I want to be like that. I want to be that generous. I'm not. Don't you want to be that generous where you just, it just spontaneously comes out of you? And we assume that it's not a mistake because Jesus knows he's just met the rich young ruler. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about it. He knew, even though the man claimed to be generous, that he wasn't, right? He claimed to be righteous, that he wasn't. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't doubt Zacchaeus' profession here. He says he's a son of Abraham. So we take Zacchaeus on his word. He genuinely wanted to do that. He, des- he desired to actually give half of his possession away. How do we become like that? Well, the answer is you've got to follow the path of Zacchaeus. You've got to follow the path of Zacchaeus. It's really the only way you develop this generosity. You can't tell yourself that I'll be this generous because you will eventually, you will eventually disqualify people from your generosity. And what is the path of Zacchaeus? Well, in the story of Zacchaeus, there's two groups. First of all, there is Zacchaeus. He's an outsider, Zacchaeus. And he's an outsider because of his own actions. Right? He's an outsider because he's ripped off the Israelites. He's an outsider because he doesn't care about God's people. He's an outsider because he's selfish. He's an outsider because he's a thief. And we see it. And he, but he knows it too. You see, he's materially very wealthy off. Wealthy, right? He's very rich. But he knows that there's something deeply wrong with him. That's the way he's, he wants to meet Jesus. For all the wealth and possessions, it's not enough for him. So he runs ahead, he climbs the tree, he hopes just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Here's my question. Do you see yourself like Zacchaeus? Do you see yourself like Zacchaeus? Because there's another crowd, there's another group in the story, it's the crowd. And the crowd 
interestingly, probably not materially that well off. And you might think, oh, okay, they're in a better place than Zacchaeus. But it turns out they're worse than Zacchaeus because they self-righteously exclude Zacchaeus, right? They're judgy about Zacchaeus. The crowd think they're better than Zacchaeus. And maybe that's you. You know, when you hear a sermon about generosity, maybe you have a list. Maybe you have a list of people you're generous to. Maybe you hear the number 10% and you you breathe a sigh of relief because you have done the maths and you give 15% of your stuff away. Maybe when you think about generosity, you can say, well, I give to, you know, this and I give to that. And we just, ah, we knew this series was coming, so we sat down and we've already done our work. We're ahead. But you see, you might be materially generous but spiritually bankrupt. There's a very sobering moment, actually, in Matthew 25. It's a little after. I just quoted Jesus talking about, you know, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Well, Jesus then goes on to say this. He says, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. His point, you see, is you've got a list. I've got a list of all the ways that we're generous. There's also a list, though, of all the ways that you have not been generous. You ever walk past someone and think, I don't have time? Ever walk past someone and think it's too hard? Ever walk past someone and think they haven't earned this? God doesn't just measure your acts. He measures your omissions as well. And there is also a list. There is a list of every moment that you have passed over the knees and Jesus soberingly says, when you didn't give it to one of them, you didn't give it to me. You didn't give it to me. And in case we just think, oh, that's a shame, look at what happens. They'll go away to eternal punishment. To eternal punishment. You see, spiritual bankruptcy is far worse than material bankruptcy. Far worse And we just cannot run away from this. And the starting point of the Zacchaeus story is, which list have I got? Which list am I relying on? Zacchaeus, he knew his list. He's acutely aware. He knew the many people he'd ripped off. But you know what the great news of the Zacchaeus story is? Jesus doesn't care about the list. He doesn't care about the list. There he is, Zacchaeus is sitting up the tree, he's away from everyone, and Jesus stops. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm having dinner at your place. Jesus doesn't care about your list. The gospel is that Jesus doesn't care about your generosity. The gospel is about Jesus' generosity, you see. If you think God loves you because you're generous, you're so wrong. God loves you because he's generous. Because he's generous to you. It costs Jesus. It costs Jesus in this little story because you see the crowd kind of turns on him in verse 7. He says, oh, he's gone to eat with sinners. Jesus has to bear some of the uh, indignity of Zacchaeus himself by siding with Zacchaeus. And on a much greater level in the gospel, Jesus has to be impoverished for you and I. He has to be impoverished for you. On the cross, he hangs there. You remember the Bruce Waltke quote? Have a look at it again. The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. And that is what Jesus does. That's what the gospel is all about. 
The gospel is not about how you have been more and more generous in your life and therefore God loves you. The gospel is that you are never, never generous enough, but God is. And he wants to love you. He wants to, he wants to welcome you in. He wants to impoverish himself so that he can enrich you with real spiritual wealth. And you know, that is why, that is why Zacchaeus changes. Because he's met Jesus. Or more importantly, because Jesus has met him. You can't, my friends, you can't please God. That's okay. But because of Christ, God is pleased with you. That's the gospel. And when you start to, only when you really start to believe that, will you, will, will you have the ability to be generous the way God wants us to be? You just, you just can't make yourself be as generous as God wants unless you see the generosity of Christ poured out for you. He loves you. He died for you. He gave his life for you. And he did it, he did it well before you deserved it. Such as the, the good news of the gospel. May God change our hearts. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the generosity of the Lord Jesus left his throne to come to Palestine as a carpenter, to walk the dusty streets of Jerusalem, to make his way up the hill to the cross, to be nailed, to suffer, to die, to bear the sins of the world for us. Lord Jesus, you are rich and generous to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would transform us with the knowledge of this great gospel. Help us to take hold of it, to be deeply moved and shaped by it, Lord. And in time, Lord, would our lives reflect your generosity to us. Amen.